0: Midnight Breakfast Cafe, where three pals in different time zones talk about food, pop culture, and other nonsense. I'm Tracy.
1: And I'm Natalie.
0: And Thanksgiving's coming up soon.
1: I'm actually skipping Thanksgiving this year because I have wisdom teeth surgery.
0: Oh, right. So it's going to be a mashed potato Thanksgiving.
1: Yep. Mashed potato and ice cream, which I'm... I don't know. Like, I know it's going to be terrible because... Everyone tells me that getting your wisdom teeth removed is terrible, and I've already gotten one side removed, but I think I also like the get-out-of-jail card of eating as much mashed potatoes as possible. (laughs) So what is your ideal Thanksgiving?
0: I've been pondering this because, for me, Thanksgiving is mostly a holiday of nostalgia. Like, every Thanksgiving... You're sort of trying to achieve the nostalgia of the previous Thanksgivings, but I also have the tendency to want to rebel and like try something more experimental around Thanksgiving. Like I always want it to be, okay, we do the turkey and the potatoes and the stuffing exactly as normal, but with the cranberry, we're doing something weird. Like I pick one thing and I make that my weird thing.
1: So I actually have very little experience with stuffing. I am not sure that I ever ate it as a child. Like, I don't know if it was there and I thought it was weird veggie matter. So I didn't touch it or if it was present. Like, I don't, I don't remember because our Thanksgivings were always like very fusion. Like we would have a turkey and like a ham and lasagna and like mashed potatoes and an assortment of pies and cakes But we would also have, like, sticky rice and egg rolls and chow mein and, like, sometimes, like, an steamed rice Asian dessert for my grandparents who, like, didn't understand, you know, pies and things.
0: (laughs) So was the reason for this fusion that you had so many different family members who were kind of expecting something different? Or is that to you, like, what you consider... Like the perfect Thanksgiving set of foods.
1: I think it was it was like, you know, the only time that the entire family got together and then there'd always be like a mystery new family member that would pop up and they're like, Oh yeah, this is like your uncle's cousin sister from Canada. <laughs> they're joining us this year. I think that it was just the way it was, and like I'm pretty sure that it will carry on into my grown-up generation, but possibly not the one afterwards. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Like, I know that my cousins and I would like a mix of, like, Chinese food and, like, American food, but I don't know if our children will have the same sentiment, especially since, like, the Asian food is still primarily being made by the older generation. But
0: I think sometimes Thanksgiving is when the younger generation learns to cook or learns to appreciate traditional foods within that family. That's sort of when you break out all of your, your most traditional recipes or like your family favorites.
1: So what what were like the very traditional foods of your household? And what are like the new fangled modern foods that you have introduced?
0: <laughs> well, I would say it's a pretty textbook American Thanksgiving. Like we would have Okay, I would say textbook low lowbrow American Thanksgiving. Like, we basically didn't have many fresh vegetables. It was, like, canned vegetables. So when I think of, like, canned green beans, first I'm like, that's gross. But second, it reminds me of Thanksgiving. Like, it makes me a little nostalgic. And so it would be, like, a turkey, some canned vegetables, and canned cranberry. Like, stovetop stuffing. At some point, we graduated to Pepperidge Farm stuffing, but really, stovetop is where it was at. And then dessert would be some pies, usually apple pie, pumpkin pie. And I think that was how it was for almost every year growing up until I was like, until I had maybe moved out of the house. And so now when I go to visit my mom, she's like, this year I want to try something crazy. And so we'll be looking on recipe websites to figure out like what vegetables we can make that we've never tried before. Or what weird thing we can do to the turkey that will be uh, something we've never tasted.
1: That's exciting. But going back to the stovetop stuffing, (laughs) so you make it on a stovetop? It's not like stuffed in the bird, baked, and then scooped out?
0: Well, I'm talking about the brand stovetop, but I think you can put stovetop stuffing inside of a turkey. We did not tend to stuff the turkey. We stuffed it with like carrots and things that were meant to flavor the turkey, but it was not then we ate those afterwards.
1: Okay, because I'm not even quite sure what stuffing is, because I thought it was whatever <laughs> stuff they stuffed into the turkey, and then you scooped it out, and you called it stuffing?
0: Yeah, well, one thing I've learned is that basically everybody has a different definition of what the texture of stuffing ought to be. Like, stovetop stuffing was very dry and bready. It was almost like, imagine like a pile of croutons, just dampened so that they stick together a tiny bit, And that's like the kind of stuffing that I was used to. But then some stuffings are like almost a custard where you have to slice into them. And they're like a big wiggly mass, like a gelatin. And that to me is very strange because I never had stuffing like that growing up. But the stuffing that you actually put into the bird, I think is pretty much the same. But it does tend to get more, I don't know if it's goopy or more flavorous with the juices of the turkey. I don't know. It kind of creeps me out. Maybe that's why I never do
1: it. Do you like turkey?
0: I do like turkey. I think that turkey is a food that belongs once a year. Like, I would not cook a turkey on Thanksgiving and another on Christmas. But I do like turkey sandwiches, which is the only time when turkey makes an appearance in my everyday life.
1: So I have, I have like, two points to make on this. The first is, like, my favorite turkey experience which was one year my mom bought, like, a young brined turkey. It was, like – or maybe it wasn't brined. Maybe it was a young smoked turkey. And what happened is, like, for months afterwards, there was just, like, a Ziploc tinfoil bag of turkey that was already pre-sliced. And then she would make this, like, really quick turkey soup with, like, turkey and, like, napa cabbage Mm. and um, rice vermicelli. And that was amazing. Like that tied us through the winter. Oh, that sounds really good. Our wonderful, cold, Southern California winter. (laughs) (laughs) And then my second thing was like, I think on the office there is like the sandwich that is like the ultimate like turkey, cranberry, mashed potato sandwich. And have you had that? Because that sounds amazing.
0: I have had that. I want to say that it's called a gobbler. Um, But yeah, I've taken all the Thanksgiving leftovers and stacked them into a sandwich before. I would say it does not taste as good as the meal itself, but it's definitely an interesting sandwich.
1: What do you think about casseroles? I'm trying to think.
0: Like, we never really did green bean casserole for Thanksgiving. Casserole was something we actually ate regularly throughout the rest of the year. But when I see people on Thanksgiving who have, like, the the green bean casserole with the onions on top, or I don't know if you even consider sweet potato-based dishes casseroles, but um, that wasn't so much a Thanksgiving thing for us, but I do really like those, you know, Campbell's soup-based casseroles where it's, like, cream of mushroom and a bunch of mess.
1: Is lasagna a casserole?
0: I think technically it is, but actually, that struck me about your story, is that I never have considered eating lasagna for thanksgiving but i
1: think that sounds really good so it would always be like um one of my aunts would make a lasagna because that was like her specialty dish and i love lasagna i love like the kind of burnt crispy corner piece
0: oh yeah have you ever seen the pan where you get only crispy corner pieces
1: it would be so hard for me to justify purchasing such a pan (laughs) yeah Um, so like one of the aunts would be like her specialty was like the turkey and my mom's specialty would rotate around. One time she did like a ham and then she poured a can of Coca-Cola over it.
0: Oh, that sounds pretty good actually.
1: Yeah. It was great because I got to finish what was left in the can. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, with the exception of lasagna, I don't really, I didn't grow up with casserole but I have discovered hot dish recently through company potlucks and I love it. It is like one of my favorite foods now, but it's like one of my favorite foods that is strictly a sometimes food because you have like favorite foods that are frequent foods and then are favorite foods that you have, like not all the time because it would kill you.
0: Right. And now when I looked up hot dish, it seemed like this was the sort of, Campbell's soup plus vegetable plus meat type thing. But is there something specific
1: that defines the type of hot dish that you're talking about? So, my coworker always, whenever he's done it, he's brought a tater tot casserole. So, it's like tater tots, um, some sort of condensed soup, bacon, cheese, and like sour cream or something. And it is amazing. And I've, like, described it to other people, and they think it's disgusting. But I really like that soft potato texture where it's, like, it has just enough texture where it's, like, more than mashed potato because it's, like, made out of, like, tiny hash browns. Right. But it still has that melt-in-your-mouth feel. And, like, one time I, like, had a biscuit, and I just smothered it with hot dish so like it also soaked into the biscuit and made that soft as well (laughs) and i was like this is like the best thing ever i'm gonna go into a food coma in 20 (laughs) minutes but it is you know cheesy and creamy and soft and like the biscuits like a little bit cakey it is amazing i highly recommend it yeah i am into that for sure Is eggnog a Thanksgiving thing yet, or is it like strictly Christmas?
0: I think it could go either way. Actually, I was at a liquor store the other day, and they were giving away samples of some type of eggnog-esque concoction. And I think actually I have never, until that moment, had spiked eggnog. And when I tasted it, it sort of clicked in my head. This is how it was always meant to be. Like when you drink eggnog, it's super sweet, and you're sort of like, oh my god how could I drink more than a sip of this? But when you drink it and it's super sweet and it's got whiskey in it or whatever goes in there, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, it cuts through it. It's actually kind of nice when you have a flavor to contrast it with. So I might actually be having a resurgence of eggnog interests this year, which I'm not sure if it'll happen at Thanksgiving or at Christmas, but we'll see.
1: I was like reading slash listening to this kind of puerto rican eggnog coquito but it has like a ton of cinnamon in it
0: Ooh, that reminds me of like a horchata combined with an eggnog
1: oh, okay coquito the puerto rican version of egg- eggnog brings a refreshing and tropical twist to the season the concept of a milk drink thickened with eggs and loaded with rum is the same but with a few tweaks sweetened condensed milk acts as a av- as a sweetener evaporated milk adds body, and of course, the island influence is asserted with coconut milk.
0: Ooh, that sounds so creamy. One of the things I like the most about the holidays is the sudden appearance of strange drinks that you don't see very much during the rest of the year, possibly because they're kind of too hearty to drink during the summer. So I would classify eggnog in this category, but also mulled wine, apple cider, and hot chocolate are all drinks that I only do at this time of year. And those are all excellent drinks.
1: I love mold wine. When I was living in Shanghai, they have a annual Christmas market that the German expats put on. And and that's where I discovered like mold wine or glühwein. Like they would always have these like really cute ceramic cups with like little wintry, snowy. Like house scenes on the cup, and then they'd fill it with mold wine and they put like a plastic cover on top. And it was probably exorbitantly priced, but I loved it so much that I would like get a cup and walk around the Christmas trees and the pretzels and the fake snow. Ah. But yeah, so I love mold wine. I love mold red wine. I love mold white wine. And the problem is. That there's never enough people to drink it with me.
0: Yeah, because you need to make a lot of it. Or what's the point?
1: You only make it, like, bottle at a time, and it makes your whole house smell like Christmas.
0: Yeah, perfect.
1: So, how do you feel about drinking in front of family?
0: It's something that up until really recently, I did not like. Like, I always had more strict rules about sort of how much and what I would drink in front of family as opposed to in front of friends. I don't know, lately I've sort of started to see the fun of drinking with family. Like, whenever, whenever I'm at my mom's house, usually I'm like, oh, I just made this new cocktail that you have to try, and I'll make some of that for her, and we kind of have, like, girls' night. And it's pretty fun. I like that a lot. Uh But if I'm with more extended family, I think I have more of a sense of, eh, maybe I better keep it a little less... Alcoholy than I normally would at a similar party with friends
1: So As I've gotten older I've kind of realized that I do I do like drinking And what I have been doing wrong All these years Is that when I drink with friends Like during my young adult life It was either like in a situation That's kind of like you would like to keep your wits around you Because like you know you're at a bar you could be pickpocketed. You could meet, you know, unsavory characters. So, like, you cannot – you can't, like, let loose and drink. Yeah. Or you are in a safe situation, but the alcohol is too cheap, so it it's not good. Yeah. And the problem is that when I'm with family, like, it's better quality alcohol still than, like, what I do for myself. So, like, I always want to drink, but – You always have to keep your wits about you or something embarrassing could happen, but it tastes so good. And, you know, like you have like older cousins, like older hip people who like are in the know about cocktails and such. And you're like, this is amazing. This tastes way better than whatever I got served at a college party.
0: Yeah, I think one of the keys to slowing things down is instead of drinking a lot of cheap pre-packaged booze that is not even good to begin with, like, cocktails are a very wise way to go, because first of all, they're a little convoluted to make, so you can't just go crazy with them, and secondly, they kind of, like, you can hold one in your hand for a long time and, like, not feel like you need to really down it, Mm -hmm. and also there's, like, a culinary approach to it that makes it more, like, a respectable endeavor, which is, like, I now approach cocktails the same way as I'd approach cooking, which is like I'm always looking for new recipes and new things that I can incorporate. And so when I'm drinking it, it doesn't feel like I'm having a beer where it's like I'm kind of just drinking it to unwind or whatever. It feels like I'm doing culinary art with my mouth. And yeah, like it puts it into a mode where I don't know, you're not going to drink too much of it because you're supposed to be slowing down and appreciating it.
1: Oh, man, I'm hungry and thirsty now. so i know you're bringing a this year for thanksgiving but do you have like your like you have like a safety dish that you can pull out of your back pocket for potlucks
0: i think in past years actually the one thing that i try to keep in mind is that for whatever reason nobody likes to bring just a plate of green vegetables like just some sautéed green vegetables. So no matter what else I bring, I always just sauté a bunch of green beans or Brussels sprouts or whatever else is good at the time. And that tends to go over really well. In a sea of potato dishes, everyone's like, oh, look, some green beans. But in terms of what I actually like to cook as my specialty dishes, I like um, cauliflower gratin is one I've made a couple times. I think the recipe I use is Smitten Kitchen's cauliflower gratin, but it's, like, Mm -hmm. the cauliflower layered with, like, cheese and cream, and it's just super decadent. Uh, So you have a lot of potlucks
1: at your work. I actually haven't decided what I'm bringing next time. We're going to do it, like, the week before Thanksgiving. So I can make, like, a cheesecake pretty reliably, and I can make a, a pecan pie pretty reliably.
0: Pecan pie is tricky, too.
1: I don't know if it is, though. Like, you just you just add a lot of corn syrup.
0: Maybe, I mean, it's emotionally tricky because you have to, like, put all that corn syrup in there. And you're like, is that really what it is? And when you're eating a pecan pie that somebody else made, you know this, but you don't have to confront it in the same way.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so a lot of times I'll do, like, a pecan chocolate chip pie or a pecan chocolate chunk pie oh yeah and I think in that case maybe the chocolate has a little bit of binding power so you don't need quite as much corn syrup
0: yeah true and it goes well with the sort of toasty flavor that the corn syrup gets after it's been baked
1: uh, I was actually wondering if I could like splurge and buy a like a quarter of a ham but I don't know how well that's gonna microwave and mostly it's because I want the ham bone for myself because <laughs> i never get the ham bone and i want the ham bone like because like whoever brings the ham gets first dibs on the ham bone or like and then the host perhaps but i do like the idea of making like a, a soup out of the ham bone
0: yeah like a split pea soup
1: yeah any kind of soup ham and potato
0: that's a pretty ingenious idea. I never thought of using
1: other people's swatlucks as a method
0: for acquiring my ham bone.
1: Well, I still, like, I'm, I'll still have, like, bought the ham.
0: Yeah, true, but you would have contributed something just as big, probably. Like, pecan mm. pies are kind of expensive to make.
1: Yeah, they are. I do love pecan pie. It might be my favorite kind of pie.
0: It's quite high on my lists, but it's, like, something that I only want to eat a little bit of. Like, my my true favorite might just be apple pie, because I feel like I could eat an entire apple pie in one sitting.
1: So I'm, like, pretty picky about my apple pies, and I I don't – I can't make a good apple pie myself. Oh, really? I like it where you can cut through the apple with, like, the barest, you know, touch of your spoon, where the apples are really soft, and then the syrup is – it's thick. Like, so – it's not watery, but it's not so thick that you're like, someone put a lot of cornstarch in that. Yeah. Um, and then, like, you want a crust that's, like, just barely strong enough to contain the apple pie. Like, I want, like, a really flaky, crumbly crust. But a lot of the times, like, people make a slightly stronger, tougher crust to, like, keep the apples from, like, I don't know, breaking. And then, so it's, like, too thick and then like it gets almost like rubbery once the apple has like kind of seeped through the bottom crust and you know the apples themselves are they're often too hard like I want my apple pie to be sweet but also tart and then like a lot of times they're too sour or they're just straight up sweet and there's no tartness at all but it's also kind of a Mood point because like I want my apple pie to be great the first time I have it but I will eat like store-bought pie because it is an excuse or it's a vehicle for a scoop of vanilla ice cream and I can call it breakfast (laughs) yeah
0: something about an apple pie it's just reasonable enough to be eaten at non-breakfast times or non-dessert times uh but yeah I would agree with everything you said about the consistency the crusts I think the one thing that I kind of see as ideal for an apple pie is that the the side crust like I don't really necessarily care about the top crust because it gets instantly ruined as soon as you break into it mm-hmm. but I like it when the crust at the very end is kind of a good texture because sometimes that's the part that gets all burnt yeah and hard and I really like it when that part is very flaky because that's my favorite part of the whole pie mm-hmm. and actually something my grandma used to do when I was a kid, is she would put cheddar cheese on apple pies. Yeah. And I was like, that's insane. I don't know why you'd ruin this pie with cheese. But now, as an adult, I totally get it. And the ideal place for the cheese is, like, right over the crust. Like, the the, the side part of the crust. Because that's sort of a topping for it. And it's, like, the part where the biggest portions of apple usually are. So it's, it's like, a good sweet and salty experience if you're into that kind of thing.
1: So, okay, so, like, is it, like, a sprinkle of cheese, or do you sprinkle the cheese around the crust and then, like, broil it for a minute so it's, like, hot, like, crusty, or is it, like, just, like, a slice of cheddar that you eat next to your pie?
0: No, she would take, like, a really thin slice of cheddar cheese and put it on top, and if the pie wasn't, like, piping hot out of the oven, which was usually the case, she would stick it in the microwave for a couple seconds. The broiler would work if you got the broiler going already. And so it gets melty and just very delicious. But it's like, you can have cheese or you can have ice cream. You can't have both.
1: Yeah. Well, and also to like undercut all I've said about apple pies is that I like McDonald's apple pies.
0: (laughs) Oh, but that's like a different thing. It's almost more like an apple empanada. Like it's- yeah. It's very good, but it's a different category of like crusty exterior and gooey, molten hot interior.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I used to get them when I was homesick in China.
0: Oh, yeah. That's the nice thing about McDonald's. It's the same everywhere, more or less, or at least they have a couple staples that you can always rely
1: upon. So what is your favorite holiday food that you don't really eat other times of the year?
0: I would say the thing that distinguishes holiday food is that I basically don't eat any of it during the rest of the year. But there's some exceptions, like mashed potatoes and vegetables. I eat all the time. So, like, the number one food that is only for the holidays might be, like, a cranberry sauce. Uh, Because I can't think of any other time where I'd be like, you know what I'm craving with this meal? A cranberry sauce whereas i might i might conceivably be like i have kind of craving turkey do you think we should cook a turkey it's never happened but it could mhm so when you were growing up did your family tend to eat cranberry sauce and if so was it canned cranberry sauce or legit cranberry sauce
1: i think it was canned cranberry sauce and it would still have that canned you, you can see like the rivets of the can <laughs> on it and I never ate it because it was kind of like jiggly but now like turkey mashed potatoes cranberry sauce gravy like that combination already is like making my mouth water
0: yeah like it seems to go with it in a way that it it doesn't go with anything by itself it seems like a monstrous just jiggle of non-fruit when it's by itself but with the other stuff like it becomes a sauce
1: I also think that growing up Thanksgiving and Christmas were the only times that I got to eat, like, the kind of American food that you saw on TV. Things that, like, I totally could make and are probably, like, normal for you, like scalloped potatoes and, like, even, like, mashed potatoes. It was, like, a Thanksgiving-Christmas thing only. My mother would never serve such a thing to us on a normal (laughs) occasion.
0: You mentioned that most of your meals were fusion meals at Thanksgiving time. Was there anything in the Chinese
1: aspect that was only during the holidays? It would be like, I'd only see this aunt like three times a year. And then whenever she came, she would bring this dish. It's um, sticky rice. And like my mom makes sticky rice too, but I don't think she puts enough like oil in it. So it doesn't, it doesn't taste as good as when this like particular aunt made it. It's kind of like when you go to a dim sum restaurant and it's like the rice thing that's wrapped in the leaf. Well, my guy,
0: like the one that has a little bit of a almost like a meat or mushroom flavor to it.
1: Yeah. So there's like sliced up sausage and like, like tiny squares of vegetables and like little squares of meat and dried shrimp. Oh, damn. That sounds really good. So she would make that in a rice cooker and then it would be like slightly lighter than the color of soy sauce. So you can kind of see how much, how much seasoning she put into that. It was like a little bit oily and like, you know, like glutinous rice is kind of chewy, but like every grain would be, and it was just like amazing. I'm sure she just put like a whole, like she just probably put a lot more oil and soy sauce and possibly MSG powder. (laughs) <laughs> that my mother would put in it. But I really liked it and um it's it's called like Nomi Fan or um Numive.
0: Oh damn we'll have to find a recipe for that and post it in the links. I don't remember where I saw this, but somebody proposed that Thanksgiving should be moved to the middle of summer because we have Christmas so close to it and Halloween right before that and these are both holidays that have like the same themes of abundance and togetherness but there's nothing like that in the summertime and I think there was great opposition to this because all of the Thanksgiving foods are autumn foods and so the summer Thanksgiving would have to be like I don't know what corn on the cob and hamburgers
1: I I am also a little bit about opposed to this because you just can't have the same excess in the summer because it's too hot to cram that many things in your stomach
0: yeah true
1: March I need something in March
0: Oh yeah where is the March holiday
1: where it's just cold and wet and you're all always at risk of running out of socks <laughs> and you just want you want something but it's past January so you know the season of decadence is over
0: so what do we need in the ideal March holiday should we embrace the rain or should it be about getting away from the rain?
1: I think it should be getting away from the rain, but with lots of colorful vegetables. Or like, I don't know, like a noodle soup holiday. Oh Some yeah. Noodle soups come in all
0: Yeah, so like a noodle soup based holiday. I was thinking it could be a duck based holiday because ducks are really like the kings of the rainy season, so
1: so we would would eat things that ducks eat. And we would also eat ducks.
0: (laughs) If we want to celebrate the ducks by having them in attendance, I feel like we shouldn't eat them.
1: Probably. Okay, fine. Fair point. And then we honor the duck by eating all other animal-based soups. (laughs) That's right. There will be no eating of ducks. And a duck must be
0: in attendance as the guest of honor. Or you may go to a place where there are ducks. Like a zoo or a park might throw a celebration... So that you can be near the ducks. <laughs> so do we have a name for this? I thought of ducks giving, but it sounds like the duck is going to give you something.
1: Oh, or we would be giving giving ducks away.
0: I just like the idea of putting duck onto other holidays, like Duckmas, Dugoween.
1: We, I like Duckmas. Duckmas? <laughs> Duckmas. <laughs>
0: This is, this is all very good, but I feel like we've definitely written ourselves into a corner where we now have to definitely orchestrate Duckmas. Well, that's in four months. That's fine. We'll have a lot of time to prepare and figure out what the signature dishes of Duckmas are.
1: What if we just made traditional duck dishes, but with other animals?
0: <laughs> is that like Chick-fil-A <laughs> advertises, like with cows? They're like, eat more chicken. So the ducks will be like, you know, what's really good is a Peking chicken. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Let's let's table this discussion till later. (laughs) I kind of want to hear what Stacy has to say about this.
0: Yeah, maybe we'll revisit Duckmas when it's time.
1: I also wanted to do like a, a cookie ranking discussion with you. Oh, okay. What are your favorite to make? What are your favorites to eat? What is the overlap?
0: Uh, I wouldn't say that there's any cookie that I like to make that I don't like to eat. Basically, that's a 100% overlap. But my favorite ones are usually ones that are relatively foolproof. Mm -hmm. Like, nothing feels worse than making a cookie and having it turn out badly. So I would say that I tend to go for, like, very simple recipes and, like, reliable traditional style recipes like uh, you can't go wrong with a chocolate chip cookie even though there's a lot of different versions of what makes a good one actually on reddit the other day there was a post of like all the ways you're doing your chocolate chip cookies wrong
1: there is no wrong way
0: i know (laughs) all they had there was a picture of eight excellent cookies that i would love to eat and they all had different qualities that were fine
1: Mm
0: Like, the only way a chocolate chip cookie can come out bad is when it melts and covers the entire bottom of the pan. And then you just slice it into squares. (laughs) So there's nothing wrong with that.
1: I don't know. I will eat Chips Ahoy cookies. Nothing wrong with them.
0: No, no, that's fine. Um, It could be that my favorite cookie to make and to eat um, is Chocolate crinkles. Like, these are actually cookies that they sold at our favorite cookie shop in Taipei, but it's like these little puffy chocolate cookies, Mm -hmm. and they crack at the top, they make like a weird pattern, and then you've dipped them in powdered sugar, so it kind of accentuates the crackle.
1: That sounds amazing. It's very good. Kind of the reverse for me is that there are like a ton of cookies that I like to eat, but I would never make. Like, any kind of sandwich cookie... I am too lazy at this point in my life and I don't have anything to prove anymore. <laughs> so I'm not going to make them. But I do love like the lacy oatmeal cookies with the chocolate in between, the lacy cookies. They're called Florentines, I think, and sometimes they have like n- like nuts and like dried fruit in them if you want to be really fancy. I really like those Milano cookies.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about this in terms of very good packaged cookies. Like an Oreo, you're never going to make an Oreo that tastes like an Oreo. Mm-hmm. So there's some things that are definitely, why mess with perfection?
1: My go-to fancy cookie right now isn't even a cookie, it's a blondie. Which, is still like cookie territory, I think. It is um, like a chocolate chip or chocolate chunk blondie. But what's special about it is you mix in caramel. And what's really good is they're like, eh, they're okay when they come out of the oven. But if you wait like one day or two days, the caramel will soften and get all gooey. Oh, yeah. And then you're good. And which also makes it like kind of a good cookie to mail because they actually get better the second or third day. My current aspirational cookie is, like, the Mexican wedding cookie because, like, I had homemade ones, like, last year that were still warm, and they're really good.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever had those. I don't even know if I know what's in them.
1: It's just, like, chopped up nuts, and then they're, like, rolled in powdered sugar.
0: Oh. There's, like, an Italian cookie that sounds similar to that.
1: Any kind of like, piped cookie, I am far too lazy to eat, or to make, <laughs> but I do like eating them.
0: Yeah, actually, I would say any cookie that involves a chilling phase, like, the other day I made some pumpkin cookies, it was like a pumpkin chocolate chip cookie, and mm-hmm. when I realized that I had not read the recipe all the way through, and they actually had to chill for an hour, I was very upset. <laughs> like, things that have to chill, things that have to be rolled out and sliced are like a little bit too time-consuming but yeah like I I said at the beginning there was no type of cookie I didn't want to make but you've you've brought to light many details I hadn't considered (laughs) as far as cookie baking complexity
1: yeah um I guess like any cookie that requires a candy thermometer oh yes but I have made homemade marshmallows and they're amazing but very dangerous because I'll just eat the marshmallow off the beater
0: one thing I do like around the holidays, which I would say is adjacent to cookies, because usually if I put together a package of cookies for somebody, I'll include something like this, is like nut mixes, like nuts and pretzels with spices.
1: Oh, man. It's like granola, but slightly worse for you.
0: Exactly. Like you can do like a more candy coating or like a spicy version where
1: it's like... Did you make checks Mix as as a younger person I was I was gonna say as an American (laughs) (laughs) no because I see the commercials of people around the holidays making making Chex Mix
0: I actually never did not even once and Chex Mix is my very favorite road trip food like now they sell Chex Mix in bags like just like any potato chip Mm -hmm. but yeah originally this was like something that you made it as a party mix Mm-hmm. Or, like, Muddy Buddies. Have you ever had those?
1: <gasps> I love them. <laughs> I love them so much. And then I figured out what was in them, and then I was kind of appalled. Um, because my sister makes it, and it is amazing. So she takes, like, the the corn cereal, because it's actually gluten-free.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, she takes a corn cereal, she coats it in almond butter, and then she coats it in chocolate. And then she coats it in powdered sugar. I was just like, that is a lot. The <laughs> almond butter is, like, a lot. And then the peanut er, – and then there's, like, chocolate on top of that. So it's, like, almond butter and chocolate. And then we're going to just coat the whole thing <laughs> in powdered, powdered sugar. sugar.
0: <laughs> Which I think the purpose of the powdered sugar is to prevent it from getting too sticky. Yeah. But I guess it's the same as eating, like, M&Ms. You know, like, it's these little bitty candy – bites mm-hmm. and like you can eat just a few of them and be good or you could eat a whole ton of them and you weren't so good but it's still the holidays so who cares
1: yeah i i love them <laughs> so much i don't know what do you think about like if a muddy buddy or like a bunch of muddy buddies met a bunch of rice krispies
0: ooh, ooh yes
1: it kind of sounds good but i am unclear if the texture will be great because like part yeah. of the texture of a rice crispy is like you bite into it and it just you just sink in you just sink in all the way until your teeth touch each other but like muddy buddies have that crunch and I like don't know if it is a good thing or a bad thing or what if you had just like you covered the bottom of the pan with muddy buddies and then you put the rice crispy on top so it'd only be on one side.
0: oh Natalie, that's ingenious. oh my God like a double layer with muddy buddy and then rice crispy treat yeah. I feel like if that's not already been invented, we've got it. We've got to concoct that.
1: Okay, I think that's the the high point of the podcast. I don't think we're going to get any better than that.
0: No, now that we're both starving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll update the blog with uh, the recipes that we've mentioned. And should we manage to concoct any of the nonsense that we've invented on the spot then we'll put links to that
1: too eventually
0: (laughs) okay uh so do we have recommendations or was that basically already our gift to the world
1: oh so part of why i'm kind of like sugar crazed right now is that i am day eight or day nine into a 10-day sugar detox and when i was um Starting this podcast, I was going to announce that my sugar cravings have disappeared, but that is obviously a lie at this point. Oh, no. It is like a really interesting experience because it makes food taste different in kind of like a scary way. Scary in that like, you're like, oh, yeah, I really am dependent on this sugar thing because I think about it a lot. No, I was going to say that it kind of reminds me of this, like, scene in a book, a fantasy book, where this, like, girl has to, she's been eating too much of this, like, addictive spice, and then so finally she eats, like, real food, and it tastes terrible at first, but once, like, she's able to rinse the spice off her tongue, she can taste real food again, and it's, like, I wouldn't say it's amazing, because it's not, but... It is different.
0: <laughs> so you're recommended going sugar-free for a while?
1: Yeah, I think it would be a good thing to do in, like, January or, like, right before the holidays. So, like, when you start eating sugar again, I'm sure it's going to taste like crack. So, yes, you should do a sugar detox so you enjoy sugar even more. It's <laughs>
0: a beautiful idea. Um, well... Recently, I was on a road trip with my mom and we were just we had run out of podcasts and we were just listening to the radio, which I haven't done in quite a while. And we caught an episode of the Prairie Home Companion, which I had heard when I was younger. And I was like, this is boring and I hate it. So I never listened to it again. But what I did not know is that at some point since then, the show was taken over by Chris Thile of Nickel Creek, which is like one of my favorite folk bands. And like he and all his friends and celebrity guests just have a great time on this show. And it was so entertaining that I became kind of obsessed with it. And that's so surprising to me for like what I always thought of as like a kind of stodgy, old fashioned review style show. But no, it's a ton of fun. And the episode that I heard had like, uh, I want to say Ron Swanson, but what's his real name? Uh, Nick, Nick Offerman? Is that who that is? I think so. Yeah, Nick Offerman was on there uh, doing some kind of funny essay and all the bands that they had were really great and they had these fun folk versions of pop songs and it was just a really good show. And so, yeah, if you haven't ever heard A Prairie Home Companion or you heard it a long time ago and you are harboring biases against it, I recommend checking it out again.
1: Beautiful. Thanks for listening to Midnight Breakfast Café. To get the latest episodes, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter at MBC Podcast. You can find links to the things we mentioned this episode at midnightbreakfastcafe.wordpress.com. If you're enjoying this show, please like and review us on iTunes. It helps new listeners find us. Happy breakfast and brunch, everyone.